I got into cocktails really having a fascination and love for it the last five years. Because of Alomar, there was a point where I had no bartender. Everyone was out. I was sick or someone quit. And as the owner, you have to do everything, right? So I got in behind the bar and had to make cocktails. And I just, I fell in love with it, man. It was a different challenge for me, but it was, it was like cooking. It was still familiar. Just using liquids. You know, you're building flavors. You're telling stories with cocktails, just like with food. And it was a whole different route for me. And it was the first time I get to come out of the kitchen and actually have more conversations with my guests. And it was just an amazing like feeling to be behind there. It was definitely hard. It's not an easy thing. It is, it's a whole different world. Amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. My guest today is Chef Nelson German, based in Oakland, California with two restaurants, Alamar Kitchen and Bar and Sobremesa Cocktail Lounge. You might have also seen Chef Nelson Sherman on TV during Top Chef Season 18. I am your host, Emmanuel Laroche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with American chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists to talk about their successes and challenges and how their cultural background influences their creative process. During the pandemic, I have written a book featuring 50 chefs and mixologists I had on my podcast. The book is called Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door. It will be published on November 8th, and you can already pre-order it everywhere you buy books online or on my website, flavorsunknown.com. Have a look at it and download the free digital recipe booklet featuring many of the chefs quoted in conversations behind the kitchen door. They have allowed me to share a recipe from their vault. For some of them, this is a rare opportunity to see behind their kitchen door. And now let's welcome Chef Nelson German to the show. Hi, Chef. How are you? Doing well, doing well, Manuel. How are you? I'm very good. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thank you for, you know, accepting to be part of Flavors Unknown. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be part of this and just have a great conversation and yeah. talk about life. Absolutely. So talking about life, you are originally from the Dominican Republic, correct? My family is. So I was actually born in New York City, but my mom was pregnant with me when she flew into the States. So I could have been born in DR. She was about six months pregnant. Okay. And then she flew over here to New York City. Uh, I was born and raised on 164 Broadway, uptown neighborhood called Washington Heights. Washington I'm Heights. not sure if you say the movie, The Heights. That's, yes, that's yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and I live on, on the other side on New Jersey, not too far from oh, um, gotcha. Manhattan. So, yeah, been gotcha. there. So, uh, <laughs> what are the, like, the smells that reminds you of your childhood when you were oh, in, the, in the Heights? I think it's just the smell of... The one thing that really comes to mind is braised chicken. In Spanish, it's called pollo guisado. And you can see just when the windows are open and there's moms and grandmas cooking that from the window, 
and you get that smell of that and frying plantains, tostones or maduros. I just remember walking through the streets of blocks and you could smell that from everywhere and just smells absolutely delicious. Wanted to go back in a few months back home and, and just, you know, visit some people, visit my grandma. So I can't wait to smell that when walking yeah. the streets of Washington Heights. So you, I'm guessing you grew up with uh, your family cooking. Oh, your yeah. food is probably a very big staple. Um, oh, yeah. What kind of like dishes were you, did you grow up with? Oh, a lot of beautiful dishes. And cooking definitely is a big staple in my family. It's what really brings us together at the table to talk about kind of what we're doing here, talking about life and what's going on around us, what we need to do. For me, of course, being young, it was about school and gaining a future. And for me, the dishes that really stand out, the one I mentioned, pollo guisado for sure. It's this beautiful braised chicken with bitter orange and, and onions. It's almost like a, a chicken stew in a way. Really delicious with some rice and beans, the plantains, of course. Another one's braised oxtail. Um, I actually do braised oxtail in one of my restaurants called Alamar. And that's a tribute to my mom and my family. She used to make this uh, during special occasions. It's, it's absolutely delicious. Another one that comes to mind for me is the one that's usually the main event at any like family gathering. And that's the Dominican roast pork. We call it penil. Okay. Or we can do it too. Cubans also. It's this beautifully roast, slow roasted pork with this gorgeous like charred skin. It's fantastic. With sofrito cool. and, and lime. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's like the one that, that people are always argue who makes the best. So you, you mentioned the oxtail that now you are doing at your restaurant Alamar. I'm guessing you are elevating that recipe, correct? Compared to what your mom was making. Definitely. So how, how do, did you tweak it? It's funny because so when, I, when we first opened, it was definitely a little more elevated version. Usually it's just oxtail with the rice and the beans. And again, the plantains. It's just a nice, big, big comfort dish with everything together. And that's funny. That's what I'm doing now. But when we first started, I was doing it's a big bowl of oxtail with these ave chili glaze, chipolini onions. It was uh, carrots and parsnip. So really beautiful root vegetables and these like pickled pearl onions. It was really gorgeous. It was very popular. But throughout the years, I noticed that, you know, especially with the rising costs in, in the Bay Area, I needed to kind of, I want to say downgrade, but make things a little more comforting, make it a little more like something I would eat as a kid in my family table. So I added the rice, I added the beans, I added the plantains. I made it more of a dish that I can just come to my grandma's house and that's what she would give me. And it became even more popular, but it still has the same soul of what I was doing before. You know, it still has a sofrito that's in there. That's a blend of onions and cilantro, a lot of peppers and garlic and olive oil. I braise a little bit longer than my mom does. My mom loves the, the chew, but I make it more falling off the bone. So it's kind of the slight difference, you know, but the, the seasonings are very similar. I add a little bit more of like turmeric and, and achiote annatto seed that, that my mom never did before. So just like a few little tweaks here and there, but it still has that soul and still the same kind of recipe she passed down to me. How did you get into professional cooking? That's a funny one. So it was always a hobby growing up. It wasn't a passion until probably the age of 17, 18. It's cool because the first time, and this is mentioning me and my friends used to kind of like do these barbecues and, and do these kind of like cool little gatherings at a park when we're teenagers. And sometimes we'll put out the grill and just start cooking. And I would be the one mostly there. Like it was something about me. It wouldn't just say like, oh, they wouldn't say, oh, no, go cook. 
it's just something that attracted me. Sure. Natural. Yeah. Into the, yeah, it was natural. And I noticed that there's there's a slight little font to this and curiosity. But then I remember further back of me being in the kitchen just watching and observing my mom cook or my grandma or auntie cook and just like listen to merengue and bachata and just watch them do their thing. You know, but <laughs> I, I never wanted to kind of touch everything. It was just like observing. It was just like slight little, again, the curiosity was there. I didn't get really into professional until again, the age 18, 19, when me and my friends, you know, we had at the age that we could finally go to the nightclubs in New York City. The ones who, you know, couldn't drink alcohol, but <laughs> we, we found a way. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, little pregame and stuff. We went to this one nightclub. It's the world famous Copacabana. Copacabana was really well known throughout the years. It was the brand new one that they opened during the, those years in the 90s. And we came out of it just like amazed. We were definitely pretty drunk. But there was a restaurant in there with good food. There was the dancing. There was the music, the live bands and everything. It was just a whole world of experience. And we never experienced that before, except in our Dominican parties with family and friends. This is like a whole new level. And we came out of it like, yo, we have to do this ourselves. We have to open a nightclub with a restaurant and music and popping bottles. It wasn't about the business aspect. It was like, we want to be there, own this place to have fun ourselves. Exactly. Continue the fun. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and... Uh, we were just like pointing at each other and giving each other like, you know, departments, basically, like what you're going to be in charge of. And they pointed at me and said, no, you gotta, you're going to do the restaurant because you're the best cook out of the group. You have the most kind of like passion for this or like heart. You know, I didn't have the passion yet. But as drunk as we were and drunk as I was, I took it seriously. I really like the next day wow. I signed up for culinary school. No way. Oh, wow. Give us a try, you know? And it's crazy how I always mention this, like, you never know, it could be the craziest moment in your life. Things could be not semi-normal, but it could be the, the your destiny. It could be the moment where you realize, this is where I should go, and let's give this a try. And it could be what you're, you're meant to do in life, you're meant to be, you know? So for me, it was like that one drunken night, then pointing at me, at me saying I'm the best cook out of the group, joined culinary school, and just went through it, and I've been in it ever since, man. Okay, really so um, among all the friends that were there that night, are you the only one that stuck into <laughs> the decision? Yeah, yeah, yes. for sure, for okay. sure. And they're, they're doing amazing things. One is a principal, the youngest principal in New York City. Others are like software engineers and, and computer engineers. So they're doing amazing things. But I was the one that kept on with the plan That's from that great. one drunken night. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Very good. So, so where did you... a nightclub, but a restaurant, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Where did you go at like, culinary school? It was called the New York Restaurant School back in the days. Now it's, it's part of the Art Institute, New York City. Yeah, I wanted to say somewhere close. You know, CIA was an option and the French culinary school, but I wanted to say somewhere close and it was the most, the one that makes more sense for me. What did you learn there? Learned a lot of the basics, honestly. And that's the thing with culinary school. You learn the basics. There's a few little extra kind of like advanced, you know, techniques you, you learn depending on the professors. But, you know, the basics of stocks and knife skills and kind of like what's the, the mother sauces, you know, things that we should know before working at a restaurant. And then you expand your craft from there. But definitely just things that you should, you should know. And it, it was rewarding. It was really cool. Like, I think back of it, like some of the classes I had, some of the great professors and chefs and realizing even my peers, some of the colleagues are still in the business and doing good things, you know, out there. So it, it was a really great but, time. It was really fun. And then after that, did you meet some people that you can call maybe your mentors now? A few, yes. Yes, for sure. I think 
you know, with, with mentors, I think in life, it always changes. Of course, there's mentors for a certain part of your life. For me, one of my biggest ones was Chef Jeremy Culver at a place I used to work called Joseph's. He really taught me the flow of a kitchen and the style of how everything has to make sense. Everything has to tell a story. It was a really amazing place in Midtown. It was part of the Cinderella group. Cinderella is still around with the, with the, the markets and everything. There was a beautiful restaurant. We were going for Mission Stars. It was sat like 250 people in Midtown. It was an amazing place. It was a grind. It was a, a place that was busy all the time. I got to really do different, different stations and learn different parts and techniques and craft. And he was, again, really kept me straight. There was a time where I almost messed up. I kept coming late too much, partying too many times at night and, or working two jobs, working two jobs at a gym for Bart Hall and Cornell University. So I was always super tired, but I was still dedicated. But, you know, not being punctual can really hurt your chances in your career. And I wasn't punctual for a while. So he sat me down. And really told me, this is what's going on. That's this is what you what you're doing right. And this is what you're doing wrong. The right part is that he can see that I have a love for this, and I'm learning techniques. I'm absorbing everything, doing the right thing, staying quiet, just doing my thing and cooking. But this is what you're doing wrong. You're not coming on time. You're being extra tired. You're, you're slowing down a bit. You're still cooking right, but you're still working a little slow because I was so tired. And he was like. Normally, I would fire somebody for this, but I'm going to give you one more chance, you know, to kind of turn it around. And the fact that he gave me a chance, I realized, like, I want to be here. I want to be in this business. I want to be at this restaurant. I have to stop messing up. And after that, I just turned it around, man. I knew it was like a, a fire in my ass, like they say, you know, it kept me going. So now you have, like, two concepts, correct? You have, like, the restaurant, like, seafood restaurant, Alamar. And then you have the other one is like kind of a cocktail and bites, you know, like the sobra yeah. mesa. Yes. And and this is in Oakland, correct? That you. Yeah, both are in yes. Oakland, Oakland, California. Okay. okay. Uh, I've been out here in Oakland for now twelve years. My wife is from Oakland. It's a wonderful city in the Bay Area. I always be indebted to this place. This place gave me my first restaurant. It gave me a lot of great opportunities to to expand and do things I'm doing now, which is amazing. But yeah, Alamar, we opened in 2014. So it's just hit its eight-year anniversary on May 1st. Congrats. It's the first baby, yeah. Yeah. A lot of ups and downs, man. Like, it, it's it's crazy as a chef. I've been in the business over 23 years. You learn so much of the chef world in the kitchen, but the business side of it is so different. And it's such a different world. And actually, in school, I, I took culinary arts and restaurant management. Because my goal was always to open my own place. That was... Yeah, sure. That, that was the bet with the friends. Yeah. Yeah, no that's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was trying to learn the, the business side of it too, you know, through school, but it's, it's so different when you actually have to do it. So it's a different mindset you have to be. You can't just be the chef. You have to be a business owner. You have to be the owner and blend everything together. But, you know, there's ups and downs. We have such great years, some bad years, but we kept pulling through, man. Like And the pandemic. And the pandemic, yeah. That was some really hard times. But the most rewarding thing about the pandemic for me and with Alomar was the the fact that we got to feed a lot of people that needed food and needed comfort. You know, we did a lot of cool programs. The initiative was one, really saved us. Chef Edward Lee, his his program. We fed a lot of laid off restaurant workers, which was really rewarding for me. It meant a lot to me. We did World Central Kitchen, feeding people in need and the homeless. East Bay FDR, which we fed the frontline workers, the nurses, the doctors that needed that little extra boost, you know. And we're still doing that. We're still doing relief meals, feeding people 
you know, so we're still continuing the good work of the building community, but it was still hard. It was still hard to really not be having people come inside the restaurant and have the style that we wanted, having to play food in the box, a to-go box was, was, you know, little down for a chef, but we made it through. And then Top Chef happened, all these great accolades. Yeah. Time, so, so. so before before we go to Top Chef, can you describe a little bit what the concept of the food at Alamar? Yes. So Alamar, it, it's changed through the years. I always call it a passion project. When people ask me, what, what kind of restaurant is it? It's definitely a seafood restaurant first, because Alamar means to the sea in Spanish. But it started as a more Mediterranean, because that was my specialty, and uh, with a little Asian flair. But the, the soul of it was seafood boils. That's what we always wanted to do. It's a place where you get this beautiful big pot of seafood with a gorgeous sauce, some grilled bread on the side. You just dip it in and and eat with your hands. One thing, people always thought we were a Cajun restaurant. So Asian Cajun was the biggest trend at that time, which is delicious food. But I wanted to take it back to its roots, which is the Mediterranean islands. So the French, the Spanish, the Italian, which was my style. And I was telling its origin story of just like simple seafood, a little bit of butter, some garlic, and, you know, or you could create a little sauce and some bread on the side. Okay. And was it connected to like travels that you have yes. made in Europe? Because I think you've been to Spain, you've been to France, yes. you've been to Italy, correct? Yes. So, yes, yes. so that was like the direct influence exactly. that you translated into the concept of your restaurant, correct? Exactly. Yeah. The constant travels to Italy was a big thing for me and, and Spain too, and, and to France, just learning that style, learning the culture and really, you know, as a chef, It's what we're taught to be a top chef or to be someone known in the business. This is style food you, you have to cook to get somewhere, you know, to for fine dining. So it was embedded in my style, but you know, there was always a little thing about let, let me add something that's Dominican or Afro Caribbean to my menu. So the oxo was it, you know. I even though I was doing all this like Mediterranean cuisine or with a little bit of Asian too, from learning from Chef Wakia, I was still adding little bits of my culture here and there since the beginning when you you opened yeah. because i'm guessing in 14 you know like the uh, dominican type of cuisine was probably not on the on the map like the way people are staying more interested i guess probably today Definitely. so are you are you evolving as well and and yes. making your menu change and making more i would say connected to your roots and yes like the dominican and then as well your african ancestry yeah Yeah, definitely. So you, definitely. Yeah. And that's that's the progression of, of Alamar. It, it was always a place to show who I was and where I've been and where I'm going. You know, those three factors. You know, I added the, the oxtail, added some, you know, fried plantains on the menu, just two items to represent where I came from and who I am as my childhood. And then there was a lot of the Mediterranean stuff and some Asian things that I've learned throughout through the past. And then a lot of original stuff that I was doing too. So It started there, and then now the progression throughout the years, like changing it and adding more of my roots, was really eye-pleading. The more I look back at it, and then this past two years, three years, it's like really full-on, like Afro-Latino, Afro-Caribbean food. Like it makes me happy. I'm still using the techniques. Can you give us some examples of some dishes that you have added? Of course, of course. Yeah, the the main things too is the seafood boils have changed. So the boils were. There's still one sauce, it's still the original sauce, but like I do this really beautiful, it's called Camarón de Criolla. So shrimp criolla style. And it's this beautiful pepper sauce that my mom used to make when I was young. Criolla style. A lot of peppers, a lot of garlic. There's turmeric, paprika, and achiote. It's this beautiful, vibrant sauce with the shrimp. And you have the potatoes, you have the corn, you have the bread on the side. 
It's really delicious. I added uh, the braised chicken dish I, I talked about earlier that I really love for my mom and grandma. Like even to this day, when I go visit, I ask for that dish. That's how much okay. I love it. But I added my own interpretation of it in my menu as a tribute to that. And I'm adding more African dishes too. I, I found out my ancestry, my ancestors come from Cameroon, in the west side of Africa. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So really like digging even deeper to, than the Dominican side. Like you said, the African ancestry. Part yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. Part of the African diaspora. So really focusing on that and how our food came, it, what our culture became through that. Um, Have you had the chance to uh, travel to Cameroon, to Africa or no? Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Yeah. It's in the, in the plan? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. That's great. Yeah. I think that'll be a really kind of like full circle experience for me to, to get to that point and, and visit sure. there. It's gonna so be probably a future evolution of the menu after that trip. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. But yeah, man, it's like, it's, it's amazing to see and to feel, you know, and, and uh, to see that progression and, and it just makes me happy. You know, it makes me happier cooking. That's what you want from a chef. You want them to cook things that make them happy and to represent the story. So Sobremesa. So what is different with Sobremesa? Suddenly, like, it's cocktail focus, correct? So yeah. it's drinks yeah. focus. So how did you get into... Uh, this is still like the the nightclub project, like with your friends? <laughs> it's closer than, than Alomar is, yeah. Yeah, and the difference between the two. So Alomar is more of a neighborhood restaurant. So it's a neighborhood bistro style. You know, homey and comforting, really wonderful place. So the Mesa is a destination. And I wanted to make something that's really like even extra special. It's a cool place because it, it's a culmination of me realizing my roots, focusing on my roots. It, it's definitely Afro-Latin, Pan-African with the food there and, and the style. Everything tells a story of the migration from or even the, the roots of slavery to the Caribbean islands and what, how we became who we are. It's a place that's just lush with cool plants. The colors are dim and colorful. There's really amazing music from, from the Caribbean islands and West Africa. Just like everything makes sense. There's spirits from Africa that I use from the Caribbean islands, of course. The ingredients I use are from all those places of, of the diaspora. The cassavas, the, the plantains. The rum? The rum, of course. The peppers. Is it, is it based <laughs> on sugarcane or molasses, like the rum that everything. you're using? Everything. I have okay. such an array of, of okay. all different styles, even Haitian rum, which is really popular right now. It's absolutely fantastic. Using things that, you know, represents the whole, a broad sense of the diaspora. So I didn't want to make it where it's just Dominican or just Afro-Latin. It showcases how large, how broad the diaspora is and how we've influenced a lot throughout the world. And, and that's the place to be. Like, I know it's all small plates. It's cocktail focus. Of course, I wanted to do a cocktail bar. I got into cocktails really. Having a fascination and love for it the last five years, five or six years. Because of Alomar, there was a point where I had no bartender. I had everyone was out, out sick or someone quit. And as the owner, you have to do everything, right? So I got in behind the bar and had to make cocktails. And I just I fell in love with it, man. It was a different challenge for me, but it was it was like cooking, it was still familiar. Just using liquids. You know, you're building flavors, you're telling stories with cocktails, just like with food. And it was a whole different realm for me. And it was the first time I get to get, get to come out of the kitchen and actually have more conversations with my guests while still creating something, while still creating products. And it was just an amazing, like, feeling to be behind there. It was definitely hard. It's not an easy thing. People think, oh, you're just shaking drinks. It's, it's so hard because you have to have conversations 
why are you doing this? You're looking at so many tickets. You're building these flavors with measurements. Everything has to be perfect. And it's a whole different world. So were you using some ingredients from the kitchen because you were a chef and you were coming from that space? For sure. Like creating some new cool spirits from herbs or shrubs or some just garnishing for the cocktails. It, so what kind of shrub? What kind of shrubs did you did you create? One of the shrubs I created was a guava ginger one. That's one of my my go tos. I make this mezcal margarita, guava and ginger. My, there was these beautiful pastries that we used to get as kids in our in the bodegas in New York. That was just like guava paste and a little bit of ginger in there, sometimes chocolate, and it was just beautiful toasted bread. So it reminded me of that those flavors. I wanted to do something you know from a memory, and I made this wonderful mezcal margarita with that. And it's like spicy rim that's been selling that's like crazy for throughout the years. But yeah, bringing a sense of like an inspiration or memory and bringing it forward into a cocktail. For me, the cocktail is just like a glass of wine. It's the first thing you have when you sit down at a restaurant or bar, right? It's the beverage. The beverage sets the precedence to everything else. Because if the cocktail isn't good, your expectations go down. And you're like, oh man, the, the food better like, and and, and for the businessmen that you you are as well, it's you know a great source of income, you know, and and oh, yeah. and, marg- and margin. <laughs> oh, so yeah. you know that's sometimes there's a lot of restaurants that are ignoring you know that part of the yeah. of the menu, but it's it's oh, great side of the business. Definitely so when helps. when you when you are creating a, a drink, are you looking at where you looking at because you are telling a story? So where you looking at the end result of like what's going to be the overall taste of the drinks or were you trying to let's say feature maybe a specific spirit you know coming from one of those islands or did you want to celebrate like a spirit or it's more about like and layer like the different flavors or it's more like an overall story and an overall taste let's say that you wanted to bring to bring a little bit of both i think for me now i'm getting more going more towards that route like okay. really celebrating the spirit and, and bringing that to fruition, telling that story. But for me, because I'm a chef, it's always about the flavors and the layerings and all that, like the end, end product, because that's what people are looking for. That's what that's going to make them really fall in love with this this cocktail. And it tells a story too, too. like the all the levels of flavor that are kind of in your mouth. With all like the different things that you describe on the dishes and, and the cocktail, at the places that you have, if there's one that illustrates like the most, you know, one of each of your Dominican roots and, and African ancestry, if you had to pick one drink, one dish. One drink, one dish. One drink would be the Sobremesa. So the, the name of the place. So this our spiritual cocktail, it represents a cocktail that's really popular or a moonshine that's popular in Dominican Republic called Mama Juana. If you've ever been to DR, Mama Juana is like the go-to. And it's crazy because every family has its own kind of version of it. The original version was by a lady uh, named Juana who was like the mom of the neighborhood. There's always one, even in the in the Republic or in, in Washington Heights, all the different blocks have like the mama of the block. And it's this lady who everyone feels like it's their mother outside of their own mother. So this wonderful lady created this concoction for fertility and for like health. But it got you, the more you drank of it, it got you drunk. So it became an actual drink. For, for that too, but there's still a lot of medicine, you know, medicine aspects to it. But it became like the national drink of the Republic. It's just a blend of red wine, honey, rum, and different spices. So there's cinnamon, there's allspice, and then there's these like cool little like barks and stuff like from different trees. 
that they put them into. It's all in a bottle and you can just pour everything in and just let it sit for six months to a year or more. So this this drink is inspired by that. Usually the that is more of a moonshine, it's spirit forward. Ours is a refreshing aspect of it. It's a shaking cocktail. Is it like a, a white rum or an aged rum? Aged rum. Aged rum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I yes. think it, it reminds me a little bit, you know, I, I had the opportunity to travel to Guadeloupe, you know, to the French Caribbean island. And they do what they call their rum arrangé, which is, you know, nice. the same things where they are blending, you know, barks and herbs and, you know, wow. and every family have their own, you know, their own recipe. So uh, that's Mama Juana, so, man. That's yeah, crazy. exactly. That's probably the equivalent <laughs> of it. <laughs> this is that one drink that really reminds people of like, yeah, yeah. What, what's that connection? You know, and and what about the dish then? The dish, I got it has to be the stuffed plantain. So I make this a beautiful, it's a sweet plantain, and it's stuffed with this meat ragu. But the one I do at Soda Mesa is using possible meat. I wanted to make something that's more accessible, so everyone can try it. So vegans can try it, vegetarians or even meat eaters because it tastes like meat. But it's this beautiful meat ragu with pickled peppers and avocado crema. So and how you it, do that? You say the stuffed plantain. So how? So so you, you take a plantain. So it's about this size, and you yeah. cut a almost like a insert like this, like a, like got a canoe. It. You're creating sure. a canoe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you put the meat on top, and it holds it. So you can either oh, pick wow. it up with your hands, or you can fork and knife. Okay. It's a dish that represents something that's popular even in Africa, where they roast a whole plantain, and then you have it in a plate, and there's a whole bunch of like cool meats they put on top of it, usually a ragu peppers and onions and mushrooms and it's just this big and beautiful concoction like a casserole almost my version is like a stuffed plantain and usually in there they'll add some cheese i didn't want to add any cheese to this one but it represents something that's popular there and then there is a version of this in the american republic called patelon de platano which is almost like a layered lasagna but there's no pasta it's actually plantain so you either slice the plantain really thin or you can boil it and create like a like a paste and you layer it with meat, cheese, vegetables, and you create these cool layers and you bake it. So it's kind of those two dishes, my inspiration for this dish. And it's like our go-to, people talk about this dish all the time. Again, it's accessible because it's it's, it's vegan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it tastes like it's absolutely. real meat. It's really cool. That's interesting. That's really cool. Something I should try. And again, it reminds me, it's funny because I, I had the chance to travel to Cuba, you know, when yeah. the window of opportunity to get to Cuba yeah, was yeah, there yeah. not too long ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I went to a restaurant and they were doing the lasagna, but with green papaya. So gotcha. the green, very thin slices. So that remind me that story. So it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's some cool stuff in the, in those islands. <laughs> definitely. definitely. <laughs> so I've seen you in Top Chef season 18. So what was your motivation to participate to Top Chef? My motivation was that I had to close the cocktail bar down due to the pandemic. So mm. we talking back about Soto Mesa, I opened it nine days before the first shutdown. Okay. So imagine this, open March 5th, had to close March 16th, just Gosh. like out of nowhere. But it was a time to finally say yes, you know, like stop being scared. And they called me, which is really cool. Sure, yeah. And that was the craziest thing. Like you're in the middle of, of a pandemic, you know, all these places closing and everything's negative around you. And you get this call like, oh, well, this is a Bravo. We would love for you to be on Top Chef this new season. I'm like, this is this has to be fake. Leave me alone. <laughs> just like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm busy. But they called again and, and it's like, okay, this must be real. So I was like, okay, let's let's try this out. Went through the process 
and made it on, man. How was the experience? It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's definitely hard. It's so hard. It really kind of breaks you down because there's so much that goes on around you and you're, you're just there to cook, but there's more to it. It's a big production. You have to realize this. It's a big production. It's TV. It's reality TV and it's a competition, you know, but the lack of sleep and the, and the constant long hours of just some, most of the time waiting and then having to cook and then you're waiting for more and you have to be quiet and being away from your families for so long and your businesses. Yeah. How long? How long? Uh, Like two months. Goes two months. months. Yeah. It's a long time, especially when you don't know what's where you're coming back to. You know, my wife had to quit a corporate job to kind of take care of the business. And because of everything going on around us, you know, we don't know how we're doing for to go, what's going on, what the numbers are. It's you're out of the loop because they take they take everything away. There's no phones, there's no TV. Sometimes you get a phone call for like five minutes every two to three weeks, but you can't really oh, wow. ask. You know, you could oh, just man. ask is everything okay? Not get any details. I'm sure so that, that, that's that's hard and that kind of the, what breaks you down. Mm-hmm. But overall, it's an amazing experience because of the people that we meet, yeah. especially the, the other chefs. Like we really became a family. Like it's it's a real love where people saw us go through and, and how we were around each other mm-hmm. and the genuine aspect that we wanted to help each other. It okay. was all natural, you know, like we were all in this moment of not much clarity because there's so much going around us that's bad. And all we had was each other. For and did you have like a, a favorite challenge? A favorite challenge, I think the driving challenge was really cool for a lot of us. You know, it was uh, it was just fun to be around in the whole teaming and having to speak to the guests and do cool things regarding a movie was really dope. Also, the the Pan African challenge was really dear and heart and for a lot of us that were on the show. It was it was personal. So, talking about dish, let's pick your brain a little bit. So, as you you know, you have both the drinks and the food. I was thinking that maybe, you know, the suggestion for a home cook, you know, a recipe to make at home could be a burger, you know, Nelson German style. And then, you know, with a drink, maybe something that we can pair, you know, between the burger and, and the drink. Yeah, the, the one that, and going back to the burgers, remember me and my friends always doing these barbecues. The more we did it, I got into making burgers a lot. That was my thing. Called it a Nell burger. And everybody knew, like everybody kept asking for it all the friends and the girls in the, in the parks and all that, the blocks. So it was like, Nell Burger was my thing. So burgers are dear, dear to me. My favorite burger would be, and looking back, it's just, I made it before. It was a Dominican style burger. So our burgers are called chimichurris. And usually it's like a Portuguese baguette with a seasoned ground beef, a lot of tomatoes and lettuce, and this a Thousand Island sauce. My version is with a, a fried cheese. So taking like a Havarti or Fontina, and battering it and frying it. Definitely a blend of, I love to use Angus beef and chorizo and blend it together. What's the por- the proportion, the ratio that you have between the two? We'll say 80 to 20. Okay. To 20. Mm-hmm. Beef to chorizo. Yeah, yeah, sure. But yeah. chorizo has so much great flavor mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. we're adding our Dominican seasonings to it is, is fantastic. A nice tomato confit. So you get some sweet, you get some crunchy and gooey. You get this really bold seasoning in the burger. And of course, you have your natural, a little barugula will be great. Other pepper. Okay. So like pepper, fried cheese, tomato confit, your burger. And then, of course, you need some kind of acid. So just some traditional pickles will be. The pickles in there. Okay. Yeah, just traditional, simple, nothing chefy about it. But <laughs> and still with the, the, the Portuguese baguettes the, as a bread that you're using, or are you using a different I, kind of bread? The Portuguese bread is awesome. I love brioche. 
you know, the brioche. The French brioche and the brioche, yeah, is, is absolutely the best. So I will use brioche okay. bread. Okay, it's so you, to, you toast, bread, toast, yeah. it, toast it on yeah. the barbecue and... Yeah. Okay, very good. So and now what's the... Sauce, the like nice so what aioli. kind of sauce? An aioli? A nice aioli, like a garlic okay. tomato aioli. Okay. Would be, would be best. Okay. That's my thing. Cool. Well, uh, that's really that's really interesting. I'm glad I asked that question because <laughs> I... That's very interesting burger. I and the season is here, so here you go. Yeah, yeah. I know what I'm going yeah. to do this weekend. And then, so what drink do you the make drink, with it? Yeah, a daiquiri, a simple daiquiri, because all those bold flavors. You need something super refreshing, just simple, nothing that will kind of try to overpower or just you know it doesn't match. A nice daiquiri, just some beautiful aged rum, anything over six years, some lime juice, some cane syrup or cane sugar syrup, and that's it. Just so simple. aged rum, lime juice, and cane syrup. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So that's the traditional daiquiri. It's not the stuff that we think about that's in, like in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> and all the blended sugar and everything. I, no, I like your version <laughs> the best, for sure. <laughs> okay, so let's let's go to the series of rapid fire questions, if uh, you know it's okay with you. Uh, so you and I are going to go on a tasting tour in Auckland. So beside your two spots, obviously, we've been there before. What are like the five spots that you are going to take me to? Awesome. All right. Name one. So Calavera is one. Okay. Wonderful Oaxacan restaurant. Burma Superstar. This is Burmese restaurant. It's really popular and delicious. It's the only place that will have me order salads. I know you don't order salads at the restaurant, but Anywhere. Okay. the salad there is absolutely fantastic. I have to mention also my friends at uh, this is Taiwanese Hong Kong style cocktail bar with fantastic food. They're really fantastic. Mellow Bistro is this kind of regional Ethiopian spot, very different from other Ethiopian restaurants. She goes a different region that's out of this world. It's really interesting the food there. And then I have to definitely mention Shakewell. Shakewell, really good friends of our Jim Beastie and Tim Nugent. It's a Mediterranean Spanish spot with fantastic bombas. So I don't do paella, it's called a bomba, so it's a smaller version of it. But her flavors and combinations are absolutely fantastic. And just the atmosphere there is nice. It's really Very cool. cool. Definitely have to go to uh, come yeah. to Oakland. Because usually I go to Sa- I go to San Francisco, but I rarely I used to in the past, but now I don't I rarely cross. Uh, I should. Oakland Oakland's a food scene, man. We, we yeah, yeah. that's what made the city really what it is today, is the food scene. And we're continuing that. It's just so you can find so many different cool cultures there. Exactly. A great example of immigrant cuisine that you just uh, described. So that that's fantastic. I love that. So what's your favorite guilty pleasure food? Pizza. Pizza. Pizza for sure. What, what kind? What, when toppings? Pepperoni. Okay. And extra cheese. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, the memor- that's the memory yeah. from the eye? Or what? <laughs> oh, yeah. As a kid, the first junk food I ever had, and I just fell in love with it. That's why I love like things gooey cheese and why I put yeah. fried cheese on the burger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's my go-to. It's the last thing I ever I ever get to eat over anything else. Just you like, know what? Sorry, I'll take your burger out. first. I'll take yeah. your burger first. It's, <laughs> it sounds so good and delicious. So, three cookbooks that inspired you the most? Definitely the history of food. It's the original everyone really loves. Bakus. One another one that's it's by uh, Chef Gray. Gray Coon. It was the five flavors. It was like salt, sugar, spicy. That book is really inspiring because it, it really teaches you what each flavor does to food and what it does when you combine them all. You know, the history of like umami and what umami is now 
a blend of all those flavors. Another book I would say, when it comes to memoirs, definitely Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. You know, it's not a cookbook per se, but it's it's the life of what you go through in the kitchen, and it shows you that it's not an easy, mm-hmm. it's not an easy industry. For no. a chef, I've been very, going very through, interesting read. Yes, definitely. Yeah, my life has been as crazy as his there, but I've seen so many crazy sure. things, and it mm-hmm. can either break you apart where you don't want to be in the industry anymore, or you put your head down, you keep going, and you get to the point where you are at now. Do you think you that this that culture is changing? Definitely, definitely, and and I'm I'm happy it is definitely changed for the better. You know, I'm a big proponent of that, just being a motivator and someone to uplift instead of breaking down. I've been through that where they scream at you, and and I never got anything thrown at me, luckily. But you know, just like screaming and and the downgrading, it's like an army. That's kind of the feeling, and and it was like you don't want to get yelled at again. It's like even when our parents used to spank us or yell at us, you don't want that happen again, so you don't do it. You know, that, that was the mindset there. But, you know, nowadays, it, it's not a good thing. It can break you down for, and become, it could become worse for certain people, depending on their, who they are. But I rather uplift and encourage somebody to, to be happier in a kitchen because that's where the best food comes out. When that person is cooking food and they're happy doing it, that's when the best comes out. That's when you, you taste flavors even better. You taste the love, and that's what tasting love is for. And that's what you want with food, you know? So I'm, I'm glad it's changing. I'm a big proponent of that. A lot of us are. And it's making the, the industry better and more inclusive, safer, and just a beautiful place to work and to really tell your story. What's your biggest pet peeves in the kitchen? I got to say, kind of working messy, you know, like clutter everywhere. I, I really believe in, in having your, your station kind of organized where everything's there, where you want it to be. Also easy for somebody else to jump in if you need to use the restroom everything's there in a certain place and by by the food by the dish itself so just clutter is, is too much for me and we all do it i did it in the past but i learned how to organize myself you know last one so beside the classics you know what condiments spices or sauces dressings do you have on hand at home at home it's a good one ketchup for sure yeah so, so that's the classic so be yeah. beyond beyond ketchup beyond ketchup i would say when i'll do my wife you know my wife is Chinese, so having Asian ingredients is a big thing for us. So the the fish sauce and the, the soy sauce, like anything like an aged soy sauce would be something I love to kind of sprinkle on some rice or something like that. Maggie, which my mom used to use too before in the past. Yes. Maggie has to be in the kitchen. <laughs> Maggie has to be in the kitchen. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. It, it's used a lot in Dominican cooking, which is surprising. Yeah. Is it like yeah. in a bouillon cube or is it like a powder? What, the, what the, liquid. the liquid. The, li- yeah. oh, the liquid. The liquid. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, but of course, speaking about bouillon cubes, definitely yeah. bouillon cubes in the house. You know, it's classic and yeah. it builds flavor. Now all of us have time to build a, a delicious chicken stock right at home. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> or oh, a vegetable stock, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And let it reduce at home. You don't want mm-hmm. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks to Maggie again. <laughs> yes. For sure, I, for sure. I have those as well. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Very good. Amazing. Um, and I got to say another one is like a pickled pepper. Mazetta is a really good okay. brand that's been in my family for a long time. It's that red top jar that a lot of us have mm-hmm, in our mm-hmm. fridges. Uh, so like some pickled peppers there you can add to your food. It's, it's delicious. Chef, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. you know that you give so much of your time. And it was a great conversation. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Manuel. It was, it was an honor to be here. Thank you so much for 
allowing me to be part of this and just having a great conversation. Thank you for listening today. After my conversation with Chef Nelson German, I need really to get to Auckland next time I am in San Francisco. Please follow us wherever you are listening to podcasts and subscribe to our newsletter on our website flavorsunknown.com. You will be able to download a recipe booklet from some of the chefs feature on the podcast and on my upcoming book, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door. Next week, my guest will be Chef Dennis Leetley. He's a former chef and blogger, recipe developer, and he's the creator of AskChefsDennis.com. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at FlavorsUnknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.